Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see everyone. And uh, I brought my coffee out because I knew many of you would probably be having yours today. Uh, what a crazy, unique week we've had. Has it not been crazy? Uh, I'll just let you know in this room that we're here, we've got some of our key essential staff members that have helped put on the service today for us and some key leaders. And other than that, all 14 of our campuses are gathered in homes today, uh, like many of you. And so I know that Lee's already done a great job of this, but I just want to say again and reiterate, if you are leaning in and you're not a part of the New Spring family, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we really are honored that you would lean in. And, and we're not going to take too much of your time, but I do want to today provide some, some I, I believe, some truth. Because, hey, how many of you know today that you woke up this morning and King Jesus was on the throne today? He was on the throne. And uh, the birds were chirping this morning. I was sitting in my office praying and reading this morning in preparation for this. The sun wasn't even up yet and the birds were chirping outside. And I just was reminded that nothing's stopping that either. But this week has been a crazy week. I wanted to do something before we get into the text. I wanted to share some good news because I feel like we've had enough crazy news this week, but we had some good news at our church this week. Many of you involved in our student ministry know that Wednesday night, we had Fuse United across the state. And uh, it was a beautiful night. We, we got to see some incredible things, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers all gathered together. And let me just share this with you, church. We saw uh, almost 100 students come along for the very first time to Fuse this week in the middle of a crazy week. We saw 13 students profess Jesus Christ as their Lord for the very first time, 13 of them. And uh, not only that, we saw 53 of them go public in baptism. And so they stood in baptism waters. They told their friends that were there. Many of them had family members that were there that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. That all happened this week. And, and we have been in the midst of a series here at the church called The Life-Giving Church. Today's message is titled The Life-Giving Church in the Midst of a Death-Dealing World. And uh, we had another service plan. Meredith, who was just leading us in worship, was actually going to talk to us today about the next generation and was going to talk to us today about some things that we do as a church intentionally to make sure that the life-giving church transcends to the next generation about how success for the church is succession. And we'll have to preach that another day because some things happened this week that we didn't foresee, but we were feeling that we're not going to change series because it is still our responsibility to be the life-giving church. Amen. And so I want to bring to you a message today because I think more than ever in the raw DNA of the church, we have an opportunity to see what all is happening in the earth and be poised, as Lee just said, to make a huge difference right where we are. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, I want to invite you in your room, uh, if you've got one, to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter uh, 16, actually. If you want the parallel passage, it's in Mark, at the end of Mark chapter 8, going into chapter 9. I'm going to be referencing that, but I want to bring up some words that I heard all week long. Maybe you heard them too. They're all over the news they're all over social media. They're on the tip of everyone's tongue. I've heard them so many times, it's kind of been crazy. But here's a couple of the words that I've been hearing. I don't know if any of you could say you've heard these words here lately. Anybody heard the word pandemic lately? Anybody heard the word panic lately? Anybody heard the word pandemonium lately? Uh, all these words, uh, they look the same. I want to show them to you. They look the same. They've, they've got three words or three letters at the start of them. P-A-N, panic, pandemic, pandemonium. And what I want to do today is I want to show you where the origin of those words came. Because uh, we are in the midst of a panicking, pandemic, pandemonium space. And uh, 
the question I want to ask you is how do you plan for a pandemic? A pandemic is not a, a definition that we create. It's a definition that the, the actual, uh, you know, scientists have created. And it basically means when all of humanity is receiving a disease, so to speak, that they did not have the ability to um, stand up against this considered a pandemic. And the word's gone out that the coronavirus, COVID-19, is a pandemic and it has a lot of different reactions. And maybe in your living room, you've got different reactions. Some people, and this is kind of probably where I land more than not, is like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's just a cold, it's not a big deal. Well, if we get it, you get it. You just, you know, drink some orange juice and take some vitamin C and, and make sure you have enough toilet paper in your house and everything will be okay. Um, other people are on the other extreme and it's, you know, it's 911, end of the world. It is doom and gloom and you've got every living room full of every spectrum when it comes to this idea of the pandemic. But how do you prepare for a panic? How do you prepare for a pandemic? And I just wanna say out loud, you can't. By definition, it is a surprise of fear and anxiety that just jumps up in your heart. And maybe you felt a little bit of that this last few days. Fear and anxiety jump up in your heart. Well, Jesus, good news, he actually prepared his disciples for a panic. And so that's what's going on in the text in Matthew chapter 16. Now, they didn't know it at the time, but what was happening was Jesus was taking his disciples into a location that they had never really been before. We don't have any historical record of them going there. He takes them out of the way intentionally and purposefully to prepare them for the panic that was ahead. Now, we are in the season as a church globally in preparation for Easter. It's just in a few short days away. We are inside of the Lenten season in the 40 days leading up to Easter. And more than likely, history would tell us that this moment in the lives of the disciples would have been happening right about now as they were in preparation for the cross. It would have been literally days uh, maybe just a few short weeks before the cross moment. And I want you to see this. Jesus was preparing his team for the panic ahead. And so he would take them to the hometown of panic. I showed you those words, panic, pandemic, and pandemonium. And I underlined the three letters, P-A-N, because there's actually a city in the scriptures that we don't know about unless you know the backstory and the context here. It's known as the city of Caesarea Philippi, and it was the hometown of Pan. Now, Pan is a Greek mythological god. You can look it up and Google it later, but basically Pan was where, um, uh, was worshiped there in this city called Caesarea Philippi. And it's on purpose that Jesus carries his disciples there to see the people that were worshiping in a panic. And actually what they would do, and I'm gonna show you some of these sites in just a moment, is when people would worship the god Pan, this demigod, they would get stirred up in a panic and they would, they would be said in a worshipful sense to, to have a pandemonium as, as they danced and they, and they did all kinds of animal sacrifice, even human sacrifice. And this was the hometown of panic. And Jesus would take his disciples to the hometown of panic to make a point. And I believe it's one that is timeless and true for us today as we're facing the same thing in our world. Would you read the text with me? It's going to be on the screens. Um, but, but here's the text. Let me get, get us to the text first. Okay. It's Matthew 16 verses 13 through 19. Matthew 16 verses 13 through 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? 
And they say, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Jesus would say to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've underlined that text because I'm gonna come back to that in pictures in just a moment. I want you to see what's going on. He goes on to say in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now this is a familiar passage of scripture. If you've grown up in and around church, you perhaps have even heard it, but what you don't have is the sights and sounds of the town of Caesarea Philippi. Um, as a matter of fact, today, on this date, I was meant to be on an airplane with my brother Clayton King and about 100 New Spring people as we were meant to be going to Israel on a trip over there to tour the land. And when things started happening a few days ago, we ended up canceling the trip like so many other things that have been canceled. Uh, but I wanted to, if I could, take you every one of you in your living room, to the city of Caesarea Philippi because it was known, like I said, to be the temple worship, the hometown of the mythological god Pan. And this is where Jesus is having this conversation. So I've got some pictures, if you don't mind. Let's look at these. This was the, the, the pictures here of, of Caesarea Philippi. If you were in Israel today, this is what you would see. And, uh, and then we, we get to this ultimate wraparound view, and this is the one I wanna stay on right now. That big hole right there is known as the gates of hell. Or in your text, if you're reading, it would be called the gates of Hades. And so what would happen here is, is you're wondering where the temple is. The temple used to like slide right over top of that. That cave was at the center of the temple. And some of those holes in the wall that you saw earlier was literally where they would have the images of the goat god Pan and they would worship him. And they would, they would go into a pandemonium and they would dance and they would lose themselves. But that big hole right there is where a water, a bubbling brook was. And it was believed to be um, a bottomless pit. And it was believed to be where the, 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 the demigods of the mythological world would travel in and out of this gate, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. And they would travel from the unseen world to the seen world. That's what the people there believed was going on. And so what people would do was they would sacrifice animals. They would even sacrifice their kids in that hole. And so think about this for a moment. Jesus makes a point to walk 30 miles with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, to the hometown of Panic, to prepare his disciples for the days ahead. Now, this is classically the way that, that Jesus teaches. He's a rabbi, and he wants to make sure that he is teaching and preparing his disciples because he knows what's coming. He has the benefit of knowledge to know that he's about to step into the cross. He's about to step into the pandemonium of the religious craze of Jerusalem in the days ahead. And so he was preparing his disciples. Now, the disciples, they were good Jewish kids. And so they would have had a feeling of angst as they were led to Caesarea Philippi. I want you to try to think about that. 
They were led to Caesarea Philippi to this pagan world where there was all kinds of grotesque things done. There was, there was all kinds of idol worship. There was all kinds of temple prostitutes. Kids, you can ask your parents after the sermon what those are, okay? Um, there was all kinds of craziness going on, even children being sacrificed. And you could wonder in your own mind, what was his point? What was his point in carrying the disciples to this place so that they might get this truth in their heart. Well, here's the truth that he wants to say to you and me and that he said to his disciples then. He wanted to establish this truth that Jesus Christ is the rock. Amen? That Jesus Christ is the rock. I wanna invite you to say that out loud in your living room right now, okay? Let's say it together. Jesus Christ is the rock. He wanted them to be right there at the gates of panic and to be solidified in the truth that Jesus Christ was stable, was unmoving, and no matter what was going on in the world around them, they could know in their heart of hearts that they had a rock in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're watching this alone, maybe you're watching this with family, but I want you to know in our world of pandemonium and panic that Jesus Christ is the rock. No matter what we face, no matter the unknown tomorrows, no matter what the schools do, no matter what the, the government does, no matter what the, the, the medical community does, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the rock. And here's the deal. This is very important. He was preparing them not for the craze of this city. He was preparing them for the craze of the unknown future. You see, in a few days' time, in a few weeks' time, they would... They would begin their journey south and they would go to Jerusalem where not the pagan crazy worshipers, but the religious Jewish crazy worshipers would be stirred up into pandemonium. And he wanted them, his disciples, to be stilled in that space, knowing that Jesus Christ is the rock. And that's what the Lord wants you to know today. He wants your family to know that he's in control, he's on the throne, that he's ruling and reigning, that nothing about what we're going through is surprising to him, and he is the rock. And he's gonna be the rock next week, and he's gonna be the rock next month, and no matter what comes your way, he is the rock. And so what he wants you to know is that he is in control and he's solid and he's as solid as that rock. And I could just visualize him pointing to this location, this rock and saying, I am that. You're right, Peter. Jesus is the Christ. And on this rock, I will build my church. He would take them back to Jerusalem. And just a few days later, he would encourage them yet again with another, with another reminder. Not only is he the rock, but he also wanted them to have his peace. I want to read John 14, 27 to us. Here's what Jesus would say. And this was literally the night before he died on the cross. And he said these words, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so what Jesus wants us to understand and know is not only is he solid as a rock and immovable in the middle of the panic and the pandemonium around us, but he also wants you to have his peace. It's his peace, not the world's peace. And he looked at his disciples on that night before he went to the cross and he says, I wanna give this peace to you, my peace. And I'm gonna give in a way not that the world gives, I wanna give in a way that, that creates a space in you where you don't have to be afraid. 
Hey, can I remind you, and probably the most quoted text of scripture over the last couple of days that I have seen, and maybe many of you have seen Lee quoted it just a bit ago, that the Lord tells us that he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gives us a different spirit. That spirit, that spirit that he gives us is of power and love and a sound mind. He wants to put his peace in your heart and he wants to have you and I being firmly established. And what he was doing for the disciples in this preparation for panic was he was giving them the tools that they would need for the days ahead. And what I believe that God is doing for us, church, is he may be doing the same. Can I put a question in front of you that I feel like the Lord has stirred me up with as I've been meditating and praying over this scripture. What if this is true? What if this isn't happening to us right now, the coronavirus, but what if rather this is happening for us? I'm gonna say it again. What if this isn't happening to us, but instead what if this is happening for us? We sang just a little bit ago that God uses what the enemy intends for evil and he turns it for good. And so what I want to say to you in every living room and in every home, listening in in cars or on podcasts, I want to say to you, Christian, you have a Jesus who is a rock and he has given you his peace. And so what that does is it transitions your perspective that these things in our world aren't happening to us, but rather they're happening on our behalf. They're happening for us. And I want to stir your faith for the next few moments to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us. You see, it is the church that is built for panic and pandemonium. The church is built and given the tools it needs for days like the ones we are entering. Uh, If you want to read something or completely nerd out over the next couple of days, there's a beautiful book written in 1996 um, by by a gentleman, and I've I've got his name, Rodney Stark, and it's called The Rise of Christianity. And essentially what the book talks about is that Christians throughout the course of history in the face of opposition, namely persecution and plagues have risen to the occasion, and it was the persecution and plagues that would have completely squashed any other movement, but actually the church was built for these days. That the things that are happening around us are happening so that we might take advantage because we have the peace that surpasses everyone else's understanding. We have the rock that will not be shaken. And we have a community that church is poised for days like the ones we're living in. And so here's just a a real honest quote. A coach said this to me years ago, and I've never forgotten it, but it's true of these days. Adversity doesn't build character. Adversity instead reveals character. And so the adversity of the days ahead, some things we know and some things we don't, the most we don't know, it's going to reveal the true rock and the true peace that you and I have access to in Jesus Christ. And so what the world needs right now, a scared world needs a fearless church. That's what Pastor A.W. Tozer said. He said, a scared world is looking for someone to be fearless. And I want you to know you've got the stuff, church. You're built with the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the rock that will not be shaken, that he was made for days of panic and pandemonium, and he was making you and I a people that in the face of adversity would reveal the truth of who he is and what he does and how we were made to stand. And so whatever happens this week, whatever happens next week, whatever happens over the next few days, I want you to know that you are safe with Jesus. 
and you can count on him and that his peace is with you and that we were built for this. As everyone else in your world is shaken, many of them will come to faith because of the distinct peace that you and I walk in. That's been the truth of all of Christian history. Great outbreaks of evangelism have happened in the face of the greatest opposition from the enemy. Persecution and plagues pave the way for you and I to step with our peace into the panic of the world and provide a hope. That's what Paul was writing about in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Here's what the text says. Listen to this. He says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I may abound in hope. People in our world are looking for it. It's never been a better day to have it. And listen, this is not happening to us, church. It's happening for us. So step out in faith, step out with hope, step out knowing that Jesus is our rock and let's begin to be a people of prayer. Now, we're almost about to wrap the sermon, but I wanted to bring us back to the text for a moment. One of the other things that was said in verse 19, you can go look at it is that Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 16, verse 19, he gives them the keys of the kingdom and he tells them that what they bind and loose will be bound and loosed in the world. He was making a reference in that moment to that gate of Hades. He was establishing the reality that he's the rock, but the people there believed that that gate was the way that things went from the unseen world to the seen world. They thought that that hole in the ground, that hole provided a way for the, the gods of the, the unseen to make their way in and out of the earth. But Jesus corrected that and he says, no, of course that's not what that is. You Christian are the way that things go from the unseen world to the seen world. And prayer is the way it happens. That Jesus Christ is the rock and that you Christian, when you pray, things in the unseen world come through you and begin to happen. And so we thought, what a best way to end the preach today, but with a prayer. And so I wanna invite the leader in whatever room you're sitting in. Maybe it's a dad sitting with family, maybe it's mom, maybe it's one of the roommates sitting with the college dorm. We've got a prayer to conclude the preach today. And it's a prayer I want to invite you to read out loud because this is the way that we bring what is happening in the unseen to reality. And this prayer is based on Psalm 91. It's a, it's a, it's a psalm of strength and truth. And so I'm gonna give you time to read it and then I'll conclude us. But I'm inviting you to read it out loud. So why don't you take advantage and do that now? trust you. You provide our shelter and our rest. 
we believe you will deliver us from every deadly pestilence, including this coronavirus. So surround us with your healing and protection. We will not give way to fear. We receive your promises spoken in Psalm 91, because my people hold fast to me in love, I will deliver them. I will protect them because they know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. With a long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. And we declare our confidence in you. We claim all of this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.